0: you're listening to all the books a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases this is episode 245 and today we are talking about books being released on february 4th 2020 and more i'm liberty hardy here with rebecca shinsky and we're coming to you from bookriot.com Hello. Hi. It's February. Not technically when I'm recording this, but it will be. Yep. And it's a leap year, which is exciting.
1: Mm I'm going to get a bonus day of the month.
0: Yep. I wanted to do something fun, so I'm taking a me day. On leap day? Yeah. I was going to do like a whole day of reading, but then I was like, I kind of want a massage. So my boyfriend was like, I'll buy you a massage. So I called the spa and I Mm -hmm. was like, I would like to book an appointment for a massage. And they're like, have you been here before? And I was like, no, this is a treat from my boyfriend. And they're like, is he going to be coming with you? And I was like, no, I said this was a treat. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I make boyfriend jokes, but he's a nice guy. Although um, this is a true story, sort of, in parts. Uh, the other day I went to interview Aaron Morgenstern, uh, about mm-hmm. two hours from where I live. And while I was gone, apparently, the town decided, I get home, like, it's late at night, and I'm driving home, and as I take the exit to where I live, well, I mean, to my town, there's a sign that wasn't there before. It's a it's an image of a person reading a book with an arrow pointing, and it's, like, pointing in the direction of my house. And I was like, did my, did my boyfriend, like, sell all my books while I was gone? Like, have, like, all the delivery people in town gotten together and been like, listen... We can't take any more books from this woman. We've got to do something. So, like, let's just put signs pointing to her house.
1: <laughs> and it's just strangers wandering through your house picking up your books. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, it's like, it's for the library, but I just thought it was funny. I was like, hmm, what are they up to?
1: <laughs> That's amazing. Well, we have, some, we have some news to share with our listener yeah. friends today. That this is my last episode of all the books. Yep. Oh, I have such mixed feelings. It's been so awesome doing this show. And don't worry, friends, nothing bad is happening. Um, But we're doing two episodes a week now of the Book Riot podcast. And there's a lot of reading for that. And... Over time, it becomes really hard to keep up with the reading for this show, at least for me, because I don't read as fast as
0: Liberty does. Who does? (laughs) I know, right? It's true.
1: It's an impossible standard. I ruin everyone. Like, literally, this show would not exist if you weren't you, because nobody else (laughs) could keep up with it. And I think it's just time for a shift. Also, I've been on here for many years and you know I kind of read the same things that I've been reading and I have been feeling like my contributions to the show weren't super fresh so all of these things sort of came together at the same time and we also have a relatively new editor on staff, Vanessa Diaz, who is awesome. And she is going to be taking my spots, um, usually on the first Tuesday of the month. Um, And she reads widely and in different directions than I do, and really in different directions than any of the other co-hosts. So you'll get a great new voice and some exposure to other things. And I will still obviously be around Book Riot. I might even make guest appearances here. Um, But this is my last one. And Thank you all for the adventure of 245 episodes. This has been like, I think it has turned into something that neither Liberty or I like had any concept that it would be when we started the show.
0: Yeah, yeah, we love you. All right, let's talk about books because okay. I'm gonna get upset. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, before we do that, let's listen to a sponsor. Mm. This episode is sponsored by Sourcebooks and Me and White Supremacy, Combat Racism, Change the World, and Become a Good Ancestor by Layla F. Saad. Layla Saad began the Me and White Supremacy hashtag on Instagram as a way to open people's eyes and become more aware of their behaviors. She asked them to participate in a 28-day journey to dismantle the privilege within themselves so they could stop inflicting damage, often unconsciously, on people of color. Over 100,000 people responded to that call to to action by downloading the workbook. New York Times bestselling authors, including Elizabeth Gilbert, Glennon Doyle, and Robin DiAngelo, and celebrities like Anne Hathaway and Sophia Bush have called Leila Sad and me and white supremacy important, imperative, life-changing, and indispensable updated and expanded from the original workbook me and white supremacy takes the work deeper by adding more historical and cultural context sharing moving stories and anecdotes and including expanded definitions examples and further resources the numbers show that people are ready to do this work and leila sad gives it to them and teaches all of us how to become good ancestors and to live and work in a way that leaves a legacy of healing and liberation for those who come after us okay so my first pick for today is a book about books sort of. It's a novella and like so it's very small and I can't tell you very much about it cuz it's a novella. It's like 100 something pages. Um but it's amazing. It's called Upright Women Wanted by Sarah Gailey, which is a hilarious title and it it was like pitched as like queer librarians do crime and I was like, "I'm in. Mm. I'm sold." Um, so, it, oh, uh, queer librarians do crime on horseback, <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> which is even, even better. better. Yeah. So it's like set in the nearish future. American West, there is a young woman named Esther. She has run away because the country is kind of in a fascist way now. And she is to be married. Her father hasn't arranged a marriage for her, uh, which is awful. But the even worse parts of her life are that she the man she is supposed to marry used to be engaged to her best friend, who was also Esther's love and the love of her life, who and her best friend has been executed for uh, uh, being in possession of resistance propaganda. So things are terrible. And Esther runs away. She stows away in the back of the librarian's bookmobile wagon (laughs) because she has these ideas about librarians that um, they have, you know, that they're on the straight and narrow and they promote the approved materials of the government and the patriarchy, and she thinks that they can help her because she feels like she has done something wrong you know and Ben and the way that she is is wrong and so she wants them to help her but what she doesn't know you know is basically like they laugh at her because these are queer rebel librarians and they are fighting they're on the resistance and they travel around doing dangerous work they are spies and they are delivering important packages and so she's actually found her people is basically what it is is like she's you know, it's like she's joined the rebel resistance, you know, if this was Star Wars. Um, and she's, you know, going to make new friends and fall in love again. And there's crime and adventure. It's a wild adventure story. But also, you know, it's it, it's it's really fun. But also, like, it houses an important message, you know, that, you know, there are people in the world still who are not safe because of their their religion or their race or the people that they love. And that resistance is important, that, you know, keep fighting. Um, So it's so great. Sarah Gailey has, like, I think this is the first of three books coming out this year. They are just working really hard. Um, So this is the first of the fabulous Sarah Gailey books this year. It is called Upright Women Wanted, and it's out today. That sounds like it was just factory
1: made for you.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's so good.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. Before I get into my first pick, I want to just let you know that a weird thing happened this time around, where usually we either don't know the sponsors as we're picking the books, or we know who the sponsors of the show are. And if we want to recommend one of those titles, we do it on a different episode, just so that there's never any appearance even of anything weird going on. I think you all know after this many episodes of this podcast that uh, we don't sell good reviews of a book on the show just because a publisher has bought advertising. So I had been planning to recommend this next book. I really, really loved it. We didn't know that it was also a sponsor, and, um, or at least we didn't know it was a sponsor until after I recorded the spot. And rather than pull this or try to rearrange it, we trust y'all to make your own decisions about it. I think you'll be able to hear in my voice this is a really genuine recommendation. It also happens to be that the publisher sponsored this episode of the podcast for this title. You can take that however you want to. Um, but we feel like this is especially a really important book. And so I wanted to make sure that it made it. Into the episode. Yeah. So thanks for reading along with us. Here we go. Um, My first pick this week is Me and White Supremacy Combat Racism, Change the World, and Become a Good Ancestor by Layla F. Saad. Uh, If the title sounds familiar to you, or if her name sounds familiar to you, it might be because you are recognizing this from an Instagram challenge that she hosted. I can't remember if it was 2018 or 2019. By the same name, it was hashtag me and white supremacy. And at the time, what she was doing online was a 28 day challenge encouraging white people to reflect on and talk about the ways that we engage in white supremacy, the ways that we benefit from white supremacy, and the whole spectrum of like outright racist behavior down to trying to um, really help white people unearth Or push white people to do the work to unearth the unconscious and subtle ways that we benefit from living in a society in which white people are dominant and have the most power. And then once you've recognized that, how to begin to dismantle the privilege that you have and work to correct it and uplift people of color and create a more equal society. Um, The prompts were really challenging. I remember watching it happen on Instagram and being like, I don't know that I want to like, say all of these things that I'm reflecting on out into the world. Um, People who participated publicly, I really had a lot of respect for and admiration that they were engaging in it so openly. And um, I'm so happy to see that that challenge has been expanded into this book. Um, that is like part history, part how to and like deeply a workbook that is still structured into 28 days. So the book actually came out last week, it came out on January 28th. I didn't see an early copy of it. I'm not sure if they made them or not. I didn't receive one if they did. So I have just had my copy for 2 days um and i i have therefore only completed a couple days worth of the activities um but i've been looking through it it's um it's really wonderful and it's very challenging in the way that something like this should be challenging. Uh, This is a book that's intended for white people who want to do the work to really understand um, what it means to be a white person living in a white supremacist society and to unpack all of the ways that we benefit from that and feed into the system even unintentionally. it's hard. It's hard work. Um, it's a big thing to be looking at. And I feel like this is a great companion book. Like it's a step two um from Igioma Olawo's. So you want to talk about race. Um, that if you read that when I was that last year, it was either 2018 or 2019. Um, if you read that and found it to be a good jumping off point for conversations with other people in your life or conversations with yourself that um, reshaped thinking, I think these come as a good like one 2 punch together that um, so you want to talk about race is a good sort of grounding starter to have language around things. And me and white supremacy is like a next step into um, really looking at your own personal involvement, the ways that you benefit, understanding, like just how complex privilege and and the intersections of different kinds of privilege and identity are. And it has really great practical grounded steps for things that you can do and takes it out of theory and into like, okay, so you're a white person and you want to be an ally and you want to be part of solving the problem. Here's how to begin doing the work in your daily life. As I said, like really challenging in all the ways that It should be. I think we should be uncomfortable in these conversations because they are about difficult things and they ask us to reflect on parts of ourselves that we might not want to look at, but we have to look at them if the world is going to change and become more equal and accessible. This is really important. Um, If if you're looking for, I don't know, a New Year's resolution or a way to expand your own social justice involvement or social justice practices, this feels especially important to me in an election year. I just can't recommend this book um, and the work around it enough. So that's Me and White Supremacy by Layla F. Saad.
0: I'm going to go in a completely different direction (laughs) now. Very, very different. Uh, So my next pick is Things in Jars by Jess Kidd. I love Jess Kidd. Like, I figured out, like, I'm very patient in most aspects of my life. Like, I can wait in line forever. No one's going to die if you don't get to the front of the line right away. You know, I drive the speed limit. People hate it. But I drive the speed limit because I'm just like, hey, I'm listening to music. And I don't have to get anywhere, like, so fast, you know. I'm very patient about a lot of things. But, like, when it comes to books, (laughs) I expend all of my energy being impatient and just kids books come out in the UK before they come out here. And I do not like to wait. I don't. So I always send away for them. I have my friends send them to me, um, which was the case with this one as well. It's so good. Um, uh, Just kid wrote himself, which I've talked about on the show and also the last resort of Mr. flood, which I talked about on the show. Um, This one is very similar. I would say also to like the mermaid and Mrs. Hancock which I talked about on the show. Um, and also, I apparently have like a, you know, I, I like this kind of book. <laughs> and also like Once Upon a River, the Diane Setterfield. if you read that a couple years ago, um, it is a sort of supernatural gothic mystery. It is about Bridie Devine, who is a redheaded detective in Victorian London. She is a dagger-toting, pipe-smoking, bonnet-wearing badass who also performs minor surgery. Um, and... She It kind of takes place in two parts, and the first part kind of explains what's coming later. Um, She takes assignments from Scotland Yard, uh, and there have been some strange deaths as well as some um, unearthings in crypts that that she has been asked to investigate. Uh, And later on, uh, Bridie is going to be hired by the very important Sir Edmund Berwick to find his daughter Christabel Berwick. Uh, And what we learn about Christabel is that she is six years old. She has been hidden away from the world because uh, she has some supernatural powers. She also has some mighty sharp teeth. And she might possibly be a mermaid kind of creature. She can sort of read minds. And so the world doesn't know about Christabel. But now Christabel is missing. And Bridie has been hired to find her. Helping uh, Bridie find Christabel is her housemaid Cora who is seven feet tall and also the tattooed ghost of a pugilist, which is actually just a boxer, but I just love using the word pugilist. (laughs) Such a good word. Named Ruby. So they are going to help Bridie. Uh, It is dangerous. It is scary. It is grotesque. All of this takes place in the semi-underbelly of Victorian London, um, which is it seems to be a very popular place to set books. Victorian London, like yeah. if you like were going to pick places in the world that books are set, it has to be way up there. It's just like such a great setting. And like I said, it does take place in like two different time periods. Um, and I-, I want a sequel. Like I really want a sequel because I enjoyed this so much. It's so unusual and weird and also gross. It's so Liberty Wheelhouse. Um and also I want I want her to say, I swear by my pretty floral bonnet, I will end you which is just <laughs> you know, the the sci-fi in to be coming out. But it's so much fun. Um it is called Things in Jars, which there will be, uh, by <laughs> Jess Kidd. You're just solidly in your wheelhouse
1: today. Yeah. It's beautiful.
0: Backlist last week too. <laughs> just like murder and historic criminals and yay.
1: Uh, Okay, my next one is Heathcliff Redux, a novella and stories by Lily Tuck. And Lily Tuck is the author of one of my favorite books of all time, I Married You for Happiness. And as indicated by the subtitle, this is a novella and stories. I love... A short story collection. I um, notoriously hate it when a short story collection begins with a novella. Like, I think it just tends to kill the momentum. Basically, this book should have just been published as the novella. The novella is 157 pages. Like, it's a book by itself. Or maybe it's 57 pages. It's long. I think it might be 157. I don't remember. Yeah, it's 157. I just checked. Okay, well, now that you've all come on that journey with me, I think this should have just been the novella. Um, the novella is the title story, Heathcliff Redux. It is about a woman who lives in um, not quite rural Virginia, but it's it's set in like the 60s. She's wealthy. Um, she and her husband are wealthy. They live on a farm, ride horses. They play polo. She's a little bit bored. And this sort of rough character comes to town that all the ladies have a crush on Uh, and at the time she's reading Wuthering Heights and she sees a lot of parallels between Heathcliff in the story and this man in her real life whose name is Cliff the story itself is nothing that we haven't seen before really of um, of a woman who's sort of bored in her domestic situation wants to have an affair has an affair is dealing with the emotional entanglements Of that and also some shady, like potentially shady business dealings where this guy and her husband are maybe going into business together and she doesn't know that it's totally on the up and up. But what makes it really unique is the way that Lily Tuck has woven together the story itself with quotes from Wuthering Heights, along with like other quotations and sections from academic analyses of Wuthering Heights, and then a whole bunch of other things. It's just an interestingly structured, creative way to go about it. And I found myself like by the end of it, actually not mad at all that the novella was 157 pages that you had to get through before you got to the short stories. Um, the short stories themselves at the end of the book are Legit short stories that are, you know, like 10 to 20 pages a piece. Um, I really, really loved the first one of those. Uh, It is called Labyrinth, and it's inspired by a previous piece that Tuck had read, where the piece was inspired by a photo that an author had seen. And so she presents a photo at the beginning of the story um, that's for her friends sitting around a table, and she imagines who these people are and what conversation they're having and what the entanglements of their lives have been. And there are a couple of other ones. All of the stories are concerned with domestic life, sort of the quiet complexities of relationships. And that's something that Tuck does really well, like very sharply, but in such a subtle way that you don't realize like exactly how sharp it's how like how sharp it is until it's had some time to sink in. Um, which is something that I really loved about I Married You for Happiness. I I do wanna say, like, the stories are all set in the 60s and the characters are middle aged to like older white women. And there's some like uncomfortable race stuff on the page that's attributed to the character's lines of thinking. And it does seem realistic for the time for Virginia in the 60s. Um, but it was a little bit cringy. And I'm, as I'm sitting with it, still having trouble deciding like, is this something that should have been in the story? Are we seeing something about Tuck that makes me uncomfortable? I'm not sure. I was uncomfortable. Um perhaps I was supposed to be uncomfortable, but I love Lily Tuck. Um, I think that the kind of writing that she does is like exactly what I typically want from a novella or a short story. It packs a whole lot into a small vignette. um, And for that, I am recommending it. I will say um, I should have given it at the top. There's a trigger warning here for um, sexual violence and abuse in a couple of the stories. So. Don't go in if that's an issue for you. So that's Heathcliff Redux, a novella and short stories by Lily Tuck. Again, I would have been totally fine if the book had just been the novella.
0: All right. Uh, My next pick is a very heavy one, uh, but it's a fantastic debut. um, And I will say content warning for sexual assault uh, going in. So if that's something you avoid, uh, I would not pick up this book. Um, It is Black Sunday by Tola Rotimi Abraham. It's out from Catapult Press, which is a fabulous little indie press. And it is uh, set in Nigeria over two decades. It is about the four siblings in this family in Lagos. And the two main siblings, there are twin girls. I looked up how to pronounce their names. I could not find anything anywhere. So their names are either Bibike and Aryike or they're Bibibki and Aryiki. I can't. But, like, the one pronunciation I found online said Babike and Ariike. So we're going to go with that. Um, I'm very sorry if I'm pronouncing them incorrectly. Uh, And they are twin girls. They just are turned uh, teenagers. And they have two siblings, two brothers, um, Andy and Peter. So there are four of them in this family. It's 1996 in Lagos. Their mother has this great job with the government and then... She gets fired, which is like terrible for the family um and now she's she has to take a different job. she's not making very much money um they're sliding towards poverty, and they find hope and help and become sort of enamored with this with the, it's called the new church, it's not just a new church, it's called the new church, and the pastor of this new church who is kind of you know very charismatic but you know like warning 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 um and he goes on and on about like how wealth is wonderful and you know if you need money to like, get anywhere in life and to be awesome and it's it's a terrible thing when you're like you know sliding into poverty um and then their father decides to take this gamble uh and loses their house so now you know they have no place to live um and Eventually, their parents abandon all four of the children to their grandmother, who doesn't really want to take care of them, uh, but, like, feels like it's her duty. But they're kind of, like, left alone to fend in the world because her- their grandmother doesn't have any money. Um, And so it's sort of like how these children have to learn to take care of themselves uh, and rely on themselves and each other because, you know... It- I think, like, when you're little, they always tell you, like, how parents and adults are responsible and they do all the right things and they make all these decisions. But, you know, they don't. And we all know this as adults and even some of us as children. Um, and it's kind of like that. Like, they depended upon their parents to help them and take care of them. They And they didn't. So now they're going to have to do it themselves. Um, and it's, it's a really beautiful story about family. Uh, like I said, it, it can be uh, brutal at times. Um, there is sexual assault mentioned on the page. Uh, But it reminds me, I mean, like life is like unhappy and also happy. And so it it fits perfectly with that. Um, It's called Black Sunday and it's by Tola Rotimi Abraham. Before you tell us about your next one, we're going to hear from our second sponsor. All right. Now it's you. This one is straight from
1: My Wheelhouse. And also, I haven't read it yet because it comes out today. It's from a small publisher, and I could not get my hands on an early copy. But I would be remiss to not talk about this book, especially on my final episode of ATV here. It's The Toni Morrison Book Club by Judah Bennett, Winifred Brown, Gloud, Cassandra Jackson, and Piper Kendricks Williams. Um, This is a group memoir. By the four friends, they are very diverse. Some are black, some are white, some are gay, some are straight. Um, They have immigrant experience and American-born experience, and they form a book club using Toni Morrison's novels to create like deep and really open, revealing conversation about the problems of everyday racism and basically what it's like to be alive today. Um, From the synopsis, it says they tackle everything from first love and soul train to police brutality and the Black Lives Matter movement. And they take up what it means to read challenging literature collaboratively and to learn in public as an act of individual reckoning and social resistance. Um, My colleague Jeff did manage to get his hands on an early copy of this and told me that it was really wonderful. I'm like very horrible at staying active in book clubs. I love the concept of it. But I think this is a new way to think about a book club moving through the work of a specific author, especially one like Toni Morrison, and really grounding it in how these books fit into life today, what they reflect about culture, how they can push us and challenge us. Um, Especially this year is the 50th anniversary of the publication of The Bluest Eye, which is just incredible um i reread that every year or two and it's it's like still so sharp and applicable and powerful and i can't imagine what it would have been like to dig into talking about the kinds of issues that come up on the page in Toni Morrison with a group of intimate friends. Um, I did take, and I think I've talked about it on the show, like my most formative experience in college was a semester-long course just on the works of Toni Morrison. We read all of the novels and dug into them. The teacher was a Morrison scholar, and it was really, it was incredible to do that in in an academic setting with someone who had specialized and spent their life unpacking these books but to do it with like with friends that you have that different level of openness and sharing and vulnerability with I think could just be so powerful so I'm really looking forward to reading this and hearing these friends story and also thinking about like what that intersection of books and personal openness and sort of personal activism could look like in in my reading life and my social life. So I can't wait to get into that. It's the Toni Morrison Book Club by Judah Bennett, Winifred Brown-Cloud, Cassandra Jackson, and Piper Kendricks-Williams.
0: All right. My last pick today is called My Autobiography of Carson McCullers by Jen Chaplin I love this book. It is one of those memoirs that we see more and more of today that also takes on another form. It's, it's nonfiction. It's a biography. It's told in these tiny little segments, and it's so beautiful. Um, many years ago, Jen Chaplin was an intern at the Harry Ransom Center, which houses a ton of writer memorabilia, letters and clothes and all kinds of personal items. Um, she mentions the favorite thing that she had seen when she was there. Um, she was would pull letters, like people would write to request copies of letters, and she would go and pull them. And she had to uh, grab these letters uh, by one of Norman Mailer's mistresses in which she addressed him in each one as dear American, we'll just say poop head, which is just uh, so <laughs> perfect and hilarious. And also, I love that they made the, this into that museum. They made they it to the, into that museum. Um, but moving on. So she gets this request one day. For letters uh, from someone ab- uh, between Carson McCullers and a woman named Anne Marie. Carson McCullers is, you might know, a very famous American novelist, wrote The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, uh, many other books, died very young. And so she, Jen Scha- Chaplin goes and pulls these letters up and she discovers these eight letters from Anne Marie to Carson McCullers in which it is very apparent that these women had been lovers and that they had broken up. Um, And now what we know about Carson McCullers is that she was married to a man twice, twice to the same man. Um, She died young, like I said, and this is like a revelation to Jen Chaplin, partly because it's very personal to her. Uh, When she was in her 20s, she spent six years in a relationship with a woman in which they kind of hid that fact and claimed to be roommates the whole time, uh, which didn't do anything for their like it was she feels like it was unhealthy now like to have done that and she kind of like blew it up uh in in her 20s and ended the relationship uh, badly and you know so now she's like thinking about like how Carson McCullers people don't know the story about her and Anne-Marie was a Swiss heiress she was a writer she was a photographer and nobody knows anything about her and so Jen Chaplin sees this as a way to sort of rewrite Carson McCullers story like, not at first realizing that she is also, you know, trying to tell her own story. Um, so she goes and she stays at Carson McCullough's house. Like, she gets a chance to stay there oh, wow. and, like, hang out in her bathtub and, like, do all these things. She goes to Yaddo, which is an artist colony in New York uh, that uh, Carson McCullough spent a lot of time at. And she feels like she is reclaiming her story and in doing that, you know, posthumously giving her the the truth, uh, you know, the the story that she actually lived. Like, she wants to bring it to light. And, you know, also healing herself and learning about herself. Um, like I said, it's the structure is so beautiful. It's in these like little tiny segments and it makes it so easy to read. And, and they're just so perfect. Um, I love this book. It is. And, and, and I will say um, when I was in high school. Uh, like, I had read most of the things that we had to read for school by the time I got to high school, but one of the books I had not read was The Heart of the Lonely Hunter, and I had this English teacher who was just so into it, and he was so mean to me that I hated the book, because I, I think because I was, you know, projecting, because he was so into it, I was like, well, I'm not gonna enjoy this. He made us watch the movie, like, twice, like, he made us, like, watch the movie, read the book, then watch the movie again, which, as you know, like, now as an adult, like, teachers having you watch movies is code for like i don't want to look at your faces you know like i need a break from you so let's turn off the lights um so i'm thinking about reading the heart is a lonely hunter again now having read Mm. this book in like as at a different part in my life uh and in that and i'm excited about that um and like i said it's just i love this book so it is my autobiography of carson mccullers by jen shapland
1: that sounds really fascinating
0: It's so good. I'm so, like, I just am so into these memoirs that that take other forms. You know, it's so incredible.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, my final pick this week is from back in April, but this is also like a solid Shinsky pick. I had been saving it to read over the holidays when I could really sit down with it, and it gave me exactly what I was looking for. It's How to Do Nothing, Resisting the Attention Economy by Jenny O'Dell. This sounds like a self-help book. You've probably seen the beautiful cover all over Instagram, ironically, um, because the book tackles (laughs) (laughs) like. Uh, And I kept having to, like, restrain myself from also posting it on Instagram. Like, come on, this is not the point. Um, But I think they knew what they were doing, giving the book a totally Instagrammable cover. Um, This is not a self-help book about how to spend less time with your phone. And even, like, putting your phone down is not necessarily the point. Um, But what Jenny O'Dell gets at here is that our attention is the commodity now, Um, that – Our clicks and likes and page views and shares and all the data that we put into the internet with what we take photos of and what we tweet about and all of those things, like that is the commodity and that the way to resist that is to do nothing, to not participate. Um, And she's not even saying get off Facebook, get off Instagram, ignore the internet. This is not an anti-technology book. And that's one of the reasons that I loved it. Um, Odell is an art critic. She's an artist. She's deeply engaged in the world, including that, you know, you have to use the internet for things sometimes. Um, But she's thinking about what we can do to like stay connected to our actual selves and to think outside of participating in just capitalism as it continues to run wild. And and the fact that the development of technology is so now deeply intertwined with the direction that our country goes in and the ways that we spend our time and what we see as valuable and not valuable. So this is like... Her meditations on these things, her own experiences mixed with um, her art critic stuff, like her experience as an art critic comes out as well when she talks about different kinds of performance art that have explored attention and time and what we pay attention to. So this is like, this book will make you want to go spend some time like sitting on a bench in a park, doing nothing but sitting on a bench in a park, like watching the people walk by, watching the birds, learning to look more closely and with real attention at the things that we see in our everyday lives, um, she writes really compellingly about how she got into birding as a form of just being really present. Um, And it's what I loved about this book is that it is really grounded, like this is not a, and, and like, I'm here for a little woo woo. Y'all have been listening to this show, but it's not, this is not like a meditation book. This is not a new age spirituality book. This is like how to be more present in the world and how to think about being more present in the world by paying attention to what we pay attention to and realizing that like when we're spending 15 minutes scrolling through Instagram, that's not, it's not mindless and it's not um, without impact or without consequence that that has an impact on us um, and it has an impact on the economy that we participate in because we're giving our attention to that thing instead of to a person who's in front of us or instead of like going to take a walk um, or being really out in the world. And I loved that she frames participating in the world in this way as an act of resistance. Um it's surprisingly political, but in a really subtle way. I don't know, there's so much depth here. I think it's really hard to summarize <laughs> in a succinct and articulate fashion. But if this is a thing that you're thinking about, um, which it certainly is a thing that I've been thinking about for a couple of years, like I got off Twitter, I don't miss it at all. <laughs> um, every couple of weeks I think about like maybe I'll go away from Instagram, but I like Instagram, but I don't know. Um, it's just a lot of food for thought about what do you pay attention to? Why do those things matter? What would it be like to shift your attention to something else? And how could that change you? How could it change your community? How can it change the world? Um, She talks specifically also about like being very learning about, the specific places that we live down to like a very narrow, like inside your zip code, what is the biology there? What's the biodiversity? What kinds of food can be grown? Like, how do you get hyper local in your awareness and in your participation in the world? There's so much to think about. I think I'm going to go back and reread it. I feel like I should reread it like once a quarter, just to remind myself of what actually makes me feel good as a person in the world versus what I think I'm supposed to feel good about because the internet tells me to. Um, so that's How to Do Nothing, Resisting the Attention Economy by Jenny O'Dell.
0: Okay, those are our new books. What are you going to read next?
1: I am about 100 pages into a reread of Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain. Uh huh. Um, uh-huh. For it, Because it's 20 years old this year.
0: Uh. Right.
1: And we're doing 20 year like look back at it for the book riot podcast but i got a um, there's a new edition of it that came out a few years ago that has like tony's handwritten annotations on the pages and um, i think he did that in 2012 so when the book was like 12 or 13 years old and it's cool to see those reflections of like what's different what had changed by then this newest edition also has um, an introduction by eric repair who was anthony bourdain's best friend and that was written after Bourdain's death. It's a beautiful paperback with like deckled edges and French flaps. And like the book itself is a lovely object. But seeing the handwritten notes has really been a perk and just thinking reading the story and hearing it in his voice and thinking about how groundbreaking the book was when it first came out and sort of had all the ways that Anthony Bourdain changed food culture and cooking culture and the ways that we think about foods. It's been a really fun experience so far. So that is what I'm reading.
0: What about you? Uh, I'm going to read Deep Light by Frances Hardinge, who is one of my favorite authors. And I feel like she is super well known across the pond, but doesn't get enough attention here. Um, She wrote Fly by Night, which is that really fun middle grade book about where books are banned in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. She writes super creepy books. She's excellent at creepy books. Uh, She wrote uh, Cuckoo Song and The Lie Tree, which I think I talked about on here. Um, And this one is being pitched as 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea meets Frankenstein. Oh, cool. I just got my hands on a copy. It comes out in a couple of months. Um, But I'm excited to read it because I just I love her. So that is what I will be doing. Awesome. So that is it for us this week. Um, Thank you to Rebecca for being my ride or die on the show all these years. Um, thank you to our sponsors. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. If you want to tell us something, you can find us online um, on Instagram. You are just, it's just Rebecca Shinsky, right? I can never That's remember. Right. <laughs> uh, I am friends and Comes Alive. If you want to leave us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link. To our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, in the meantime,
1: happy reading.
0: reading.